you can really do a whole death by data thing to yourself as a new school owner <laughs> by being that ingrained in the numbers and holding yourself to what other people's define as success for your business. Hey, welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School podcast. I'm Daniel, this is Nate. In this episode, we have a returning guest to the show, Brian King from Rock U Music School in Minnesota. So Brian mm. came on the show way back in episode 19, and we talked about how his background as a marketer helped him grow his school from just 30 students to, at the time, about 130 students. And I really enjoyed chatting with Brian because his background as a marketer, we ended up having kind of a nerdy, geeky talk about marketing and some of the things he'd learned in his first year having Rock U open. Well, I followed up with Brian and have stayed in touch with Brian. And today we're going to examine his school in even more depth. And we're going to try a new format called Five for Five. So we have five questions we want to ask Brian. We're going to spend roughly, maybe, five minutes on each <laughs> question. So we're crossing our fingers because we all know yeah. that uh, we like to talk around here. So, right. um, Brian, are you ready to go five for five? Uh, let's go. I'm excited for this, guys. Cool, cool, cool. So the very first question, what are you most proud of as a school owner? Something that you guys do really, really, really well at your school? That's an awesome question. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, the one thing that just really popped in my head right away is the fact that, Prior to the school opening, um, you know, in my career as a marketer, as we talked about before, you know, one thing that I know is really crucial to any business, especially a brand new business, is honing in on who you are. What's your value proposition? What's your brand identity? And what is your culture going to be like? And so, you know, mm -hmm. prior to us opening, that is where I spent, honestly, the majority of my time is figuring out, okay, who is Rock You? What do I want this business to be? What is that value proposition? What, what's going to set us apart from the other music schools that have been around here forever? The conservatories, the private teachers that have been teaching for 30 years, the big box retailers that offer lessons, uh, you know, the, the franchises, things like that. What's going to make someone choose Rock U over them? And so I spent a lot of time figuring out what that is. What is that unique value proposition? And really, you know, I came up with a mission statement, a vision statement, and then a couple taglines, things like that. And really what it, what it centered around is the theme of we are very community-driven. Music should be accessible to everyone, regardless of age or skill level, and it should be fun. And as long as we're accomplishing those three things, the identity of Rock U is what I want it to be. And we're coming up on having been open for almost two years. Our two-year anniversary will be in, in June. And I am incredibly proud of the fact that we have 100% stayed true to that mission and vision that I set out when we first opened. And kind of when I visualize what Rocky is going to be after one year, three years, five years, 10 years, we're sticking with it. And it's working. And mm. I attribute a lot of the success to the fact that we have stuck to that. And the other big thing I think that's really important too about saying that we're community driven, music's fun, it should be accessible, is that it's not just lip service, we're very authentic about it. When someone walks in the door, the customer experience that they get from myself, from our front desk person, a manager, a teacher, everything is done through that lens of the mission and vision statement of, of that authenticity and making sure that we are establishing ourselves as a community. Um, and I think that all that comes from the top down, you know, that comes from myself as the owner, making sure that I 
exhibit those behaviors in every interaction I've got with every student, every parent, every teacher. Because once teachers see that, they're like, oh, that's that's what we're supposed to be like. It's not just the thing that they say. It's actually who they are and it's ingrained in them. And the proof in that, I think, is, is in the fact that, you know, several teachers that we've hired have come from other schools who mm. off the cuff just say, hey, you know, Brian, like when you said you were wanted to establish a community of musicians and teachers, every school says that. But you're the first school that actually does it. You're authentic about it. And I've had several teachers unprompted tell me that. And I think that's so cool. And I mean, you know, just last mm. week, I've got several bluegrass musicians who teach here who are in on Tuesday nights. And, you know, in between lessons, they'll come out with instruments and start doing like a nanny yeah. in the lobby. And they'll hand an instrument to a parent and say, hey, pluck this one string and then you're jamming with us. That's not something I told them to do. It's something I found out from parents who said, hey, Brian, it's really cool that you had this idea to have these jam sessions in the lobby. I'm like, that wasn't me. That was my teachers knowing that they have the autonomy and the freedom to do that because we've established that's who we are as a school. So that's that's mm. what I am most proud of is that that we were very authentic with it and people pick up on that. We've got a vibe here and people know that they get that vibe the second they walk in the door. What exactly are you doing to exhibit this authenticity yourself as an owner? That's a great question. And dude, honestly, it's hard to put my finger on it. But truly, I think what it is, is that it's I am just myself around my teachers. Um you know, being in the corporate world for so long, hmm. I can guarantee you someone who steps into the office every day, they are not their true authentic self when they sit down at their desk in corporate America. You right. Can't, you can't be your weird, awkward, authentic self in that kind of environment. Whereas here you can be, and I want to be, I want every person who walks in, I want all my teachers to be themselves and not feel like they have to be a different version of themselves. Okay. Five for five question two. What's one challenge you're experiencing right now in your business? Uh, this one's kind of, it, it's like a fun challenge. And it's, this is one of those things that I didn't think we'd be worrying about at this point, but we are, and that is actually capacity. So um, mm. what's been really interesting is, you know, we've seen a lot of growth here at Rock U in our first 20 months. And originally, when we're selling leads, um, you know, when my admins call up, we've kind of got this whole script that we walk through and everything. And a part of that that process that we've developed is that, you know, when they follow up with the lead, they know exactly what that lead is, what they're looking for. And they come pre-armed with, you know, three lesson times and lesson slots. They will sell to that person. Um, and 99% of the time, the first two lesson slots fit and work for, for that lead. But now we're at that point where we have like one or two lesson slots available given our physical capacity and our teacher capacity. And so that's one thing that we are now having to be thoughtful about that I never had to be thoughtful about before is being like, oh my gosh, it's not just the Wild West with scheduling. Now we've got to think about this. Um, so that's one. It, it's been an interesting challenge because all of our teachers are 1099s. So I can't tell them when they're in. They tell me when they're in. So it's it's working around their schedules and figuring out, mm. okay, if I've got a teacher who's in on Mondays from five to eight, now I've still got, you know, peak hours for us, as I'm sure they are for you, Nate, are three to eight, essentially. So totally. if I've got a teacher who can only be here between five and eight, now I've got that three to five gap 
that I've got to figure out what to do with. And then do I, 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 do I hire another teacher? Do I see if there's another teacher who might be willing to extend their availability? But I can't tell them to do that because they're 1099s, they're not W-2s. Um, and so really that's been a very interesting jigsaw puzzle in a Tetris game to now have to like yeah. print off the schedule, look at the gaps and plug and play and do all of the, the switching things around um, and, and kind of figure out what that process is like. Cause that's not something that we've ever had to worry about before because we had all the space in the world and all the time in the world, which now we don't anymore. Mm, yeah. Do you have a long-term way that you think is the, is the solution for that? Cause obviously the printing things out and doing the jigsaw puzzling, that's the short-term solution. Is there a long-term solution that you're working towards? Yeah. So that, that is, that is what we're working on right now is figuring out what that long-term solution is going to be. Mm. And initially the way I'm looking at it is that we will have to have basically an assigned teacher to a room for a certain period of time and then hire accordingly to make sure that from those peak hours, three o'clock to eight o'clock, I have coverage for each and every room to make sure that we are operating at max capacity, which is not something we had done before. So it's it's really the, the, the way we're going about it right now is I am now coming up with what I want that schedule to look like. And then over the summer, when everyone's schedules get blown up, students are rearranging schedules, teachers are rearranging schedules, we will then say, okay, by September, when fall enrollments kind of start peaking up again, this is what the schedule needs to look like to start fitting that model that we've got for max capacity going forward. So I'm going to plus one on your idea, like spend alone time with your forecast and ideally create a forecast that's three years out. So what's the inventory need to be to be healthy financially um, in fall of 2024, you know, this fall, what's the inventory? What could it look like the following fall and if you're just like, if you got an extra hour and another cup of coffee, do the th- next fall, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then the next piece I would say is um, I would double check your reasoning on hiring and when you hire. I think you have a real opportunity to hire now for the fall by providing some sort of carrot in the intermediate time. That's the only other thing I would say is just like spend a little more time contemplating your hiring. Um, your seasons of hiring and ask yourself if you're, you know, are you, are you getting a little bit, are you uh, are making too many assumptions currently because you're two years into the journey? And then number two, are there any places where you're a little bit lazy because you're just like, man, this is a hard problem. So I'm just going to give myself more time to work on it. When in actuality, you know, you just need like a three hour block of think time. You know, that's it. Nice. That's a great Mm. challenge, and I'm glad you're addressing it now at two years in. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week, and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small, and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method, technology, and industry-leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher, 
and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express. All right, five for five, question three. Brian, it was actually about one year ago that your podcast episode aired. So this is a perfect question for you. What's one lesson you've learned in the last year since episode 19? <laughs> what, just one. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe the biggest lesson then. Big, you know, biggest lesson. Honestly, Daniel, um, I think the biggest thing I've learned has been to trust my gut because at the end of the day, I actually kind of do know what I'm doing. Um, you know, as a new entrepreneur, a new small business owner, the first, the first six months is just like, oh my gosh, I took this giant risk. Is this thing actually going to work? And you're constantly in your head. I mean, I spent every hour, every day fighting imposter syndrome while sitting here doing business, answering questions, being like, I'm making this up as I go. I don't know the answer to this. I mean, it's, it's one of those interesting things that. I've, I've been able to kind of reassess all of that over the last year and look at the growth of business. Look at the fact that we are establishing ourselves in the community, talking to teachers, talking to parents, talking to students, being like, you know, kind of what I, what I addressed the first, you know, during that first question is saying, okay, when I had an idea for what I wanted Rock U to be, I knew what that, I knew what I wanted it to be like. But the fact that we are now almost two years into it and we are, what I wanted it to be like, you know, the vision that I had set out, we've gotten there is a testament to the fact that I have now run this business in a way that is effective, that is working, that when those mm. questions come up that I didn't know the answer to, then I was making it up, actually kind of did know the answer because I have been in this business now for a little while. And because I had that vision and that identity for what I want to rock you to be, I was able to answer those questions in a way that could fit that vision without really knowing it. And so I think that has been the biggest thing for me is that I don't have that imposter syndrome anymore. When I'm out talking to other business owners, talking to students, mm. talking to families, now I'm a confident business owner and being like, yeah, no, I got this. I, I do know what I'm doing. Um, and of course, as we say that, I've got the phone ringing for a new lead right now. But yeah, so that that has been the biggest thing is, is that I as a new entrepreneur came into it with zero clue of what I was doing. I didn't know how to run a music school, took giant risks, but I, I do, I, like I said, now I've got that confidence and that I do kind of know what I'm doing. And I, that has now trickled down into business decisions are easier to make. Um, you know, the, the, the things that I feel like maybe I may have hesitated on before, now I'm able to act on them because like, I know what that right decision is because I have that confidence to know, yep, this is, this is how I want it to be. Who do you surround yourself with currently that is of a similar business mindset that gives you the ongoing confidence? So um, I have a business coach. Uh, her name is Alyssa um, and truly 
Having a business coach, I think, is another one of those things that I would highly encourage any business owner to do, regardless of what kind of business you have. Because having that sounding board, that voice of reason that has been through it, that is able to help me tease out those ideas has been so valuable for me. I can't even Mm. describe it. I can't even put words to it because it is a very lonely thing being an entrepreneur when you're the one making all the decisions and any decision you make is going to impact potentially the lives, the careers of, of teachers who depend on you for income. It's, it's a very high pressure, very scary thing. And so to have someone who has been through it before, who is able to tell you, yes, this is okay, or no, that's, let's rethink that idea in a nice way, um, has been mm. so valuable for me. I'll just make a quick note here that Alyssa is one of the accelerator coaches here at Grow Your Music Studio. And uh, just go to growyourmusicstudio.com and head over to the contact form. Reach out if you'd like to talk to me about getting that kind of wise counsel in your life as well. All right, question four for five for five. What's one action, Brian, that you think a school owner could take right now that will make a difference? And I leave that purposefully open-ended because I'm going to let you decide and define what that difference could be. So what's one action a school owner could take right now that will make a difference for them and their business? This one is so easy for me to answer. And it's one that as a former leader of marketing teams and digital marketing teams, still blows my mind that this is what I would say is one of the biggest difference makers that a person can make in owning a school. And that is to get involved in the community and believe in the power of networking partnerships and referrals. You know, Mm. for me personally, um, coming into owning rock you, I had these as a formal digital marketer and, you know, kind of a marketing expert, I had ideas for these complex marketing campaigns, drip campaigns, customer journey maps, all this stuff that I was going to implement from day one. And then we opened up the school and I'm like, dude, I got to learn how to run a music school. I don't have time to be running these crazy marketing campaigns. And so we just ended up doing some very basic marketing and it was working. But then, um, you know, the next kind of step that I really wanted to take was, okay, I want to get my ground game going here. And, and get myself in the community because being part of the community, being in a community is a part of our mission and vision statement. And so I got involved in the Chamber of Commerce. I uh, you know, went around, introduced myself to new business businesses, established partnerships with, with kind of similar businesses, with similar clientele, um, you know, went to all the uh, you know, ribbon cutting events and community fairs, set up our booths at the business expos, things like that, and just got to meet everybody, other small business owners, but then also meet parents and things like that. And it has been by far the most effective lead generation channel Mm. that we have here at Rock U. And that is so counterintuitive to what I know in over a decade in marketing and digital marketing. It is completely wild. And you guys are numbers nerds like me. And so it was also ingrained in me, hey, you know, if you've got, got a marketing campaign, you got to test and learn, test and learn, because you've got to prove your results to, to the higher ups and show whether this is working or not working. So I ran a test. So um, in January and February of 2021, when we were first open and I was running marketing campaigns, you know, we were spending about, it was about $1,000 a month in, in, month in uh, digital ads. So Google ads, Facebook ads, things like that. I think 80% of that was in Google ads, 20% in Facebook. Um, and then 2021, my goal was to 
get that ground game going, get involved in the community, get out there, shake hands, do all that good stuff. Um, so I wanted to see kind of how that was going. So in January and February of this year, in 2023, I ran $0 in marketing and advertising. I spent nothing on marketing and advertising. Mm. And I wanted to compare January, February this year to January, February last year when I was spending $1,000 a month, as opposed to now when we've got a year's worth of ground game going and what were those results like? And the proof is in the pudding. So we had a 16% increase in the total number of leads we brought in those two months, but then a 63% increase in the number of leads closed, which means that not only were we getting more leads because we were so ingrained in the community, but we're getting better qualified leads. People mm -hmm. who are willing to mm -hmm. want to sign up because they were referral from, you know, a kid on the soccer team. They saw a, a brochure of ours at the place where they get their kids haircut. It was just fascinating mm. to me to know that, oh my gosh, I don't, because of the fact that I put so much work into establishing ourselves in the community, that if we don't want to spend money on marketing or advertising for a month or two, we don't have to, we will still get leads and we'll actually get more leads and better leads. Not to say we're mm. not going to be running marketing campaigns, which we will, but I just want to run that test. And it, it was it, it, the proof was there. It was completely fascinating to me. Brian, the follow-up question I would want to, I want to ask you is how you talked about measurement. Um, how can you, how can you directly measure the, the, you know, the handshake at this community event and, and then be certain that that is the thing that is, is, causing this other thing like what gives you the confidence that 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 is what's making the difference and the reason is is our lead gen process has gotten more defined so whenever we close a lead we ask the question how'd you hear about us mm. that has now shifted from yeah. i googled music lessons near me to oh uh like i said uh, a kid in my soccer team uh goes to take lessons there and while i was talking to my mom and that's how we found out about you or hey i saw your poster up at the coffee shop you know, so I, that's mm. where the majority of the leads we close are now saying those things as opposed to the, uh, we Googled you or we, I found okay. you on Facebook. Are you doing anything then to stimulate those referrals? Like the soccer team kid who brings the friend, is there anything specific you're doing to, to, to make that happen more often? Uh, yeah. So uh, part of the, the you know, customer journey of a student walking in the door at Rocky, it's funny, I have them, a stack of them right here. You know, uh, after their first, uh, when they sign up, they get a series of emails, a nurture campaign, all that stuff. They also get a postcard in the mail from us, a thank you mm. with a referral bonus where, hey, you refer a friend, you get 20, 20 bucks off your next lesson at Rocky. We, I almost have to remind people that we have that because they're just so excited to tell people about us where we'll have plenty of leads that end up telling us, oh, you know, I enrolled in lessons because of Jimmy who takes lessons over here. And I'm like, well, Jimmy's mom never told me that he told you. So I'm just going to go ahead and give them 20 bucks off their next month lessons because that's a referral. Then I tell Jimmy's mom, she's really excited about the fact that she's going to get 20 bucks off that month. And then she's willing to keep doing it. It's just that it's just a kind of a cascading effect. I don't know. It, it works. It's working well for us. It's that's And it's the, the funny thing is, Daniel, is that it's all – it's nothing complex. These are all just basic things that we do. Yeah. Yeah. Your choice to go snail mail with a card follow-up. Of course, 
that's been something that's like built into your CRM automated system. And you, you, everybody's listened to the podcast or the webinar from probably in your marketing life, actually. It was the last time you really visited that idea. But the truth is, is nobody's actually doing it. And we live in a time right now where that card coming in the mail is, I would, I'm going to argue, 10x more powerful than it was 20 years ago. Mm. So I'm just plus wanting that idea, and it's something that BMF is implementing right now as well. And, and um, Daniel, so, Daniel, to yeah. piggyback off that too, I think also people aren't going out, like small business owners like us aren't also networking. I think that's one thing yes. that people are missing out on. That was something that, again, was ingrained to me in the corporate world. Network, network, network. That's not something that I see a lot or hear a lot, um, from, yeah. especially especially in, in our industry, in our space. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it's very interesting. I, I actually see a bit of a hesitancy to mm-hmm. other music school owners in, in my area to network with me. And I, I don't understand what it is or why it is. I don't know if it's a fear of competition, uh, anything like that. But um, it, it's been pretty interesting, especially when we first opened. You know, I reached out to a lot of music schools around here because I just wanted to grab coffee and talk to them and get figure out what am I getting myself into. And um, I think I must have reached out to about 20 school owners. One, yeah. one agreed to meet with me. Question five, Brian, what's one thing you've done for yourself personally in the past year that has brought you more joy as an owner? This was the, this is the easiest question to answer. Um, and it, it's without trying to get to like Tony Robbins, Brendan Bouchard on you, but it has been to allow myself to redefine what success is for me. When we first opened, um, you know, I had read countless business books, how to open a small business, listen to countless podcasts, countless blogs, all of them give you all these metrics for success. You have to have these kind of margins, bring in this kind of revenue, this kind of profit by this time frame. yada, 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 yada. And I'm a numbers nerd, as we've talked about. Like I, I, I am constantly in tune with my numbers. But mm. you, can, you can really do a whole death by data thing to yourself as a new school owner <laughs> by being that ingrained in the numbers and holding yourself to what other people's define as success for your business. And going back to what we talked about before, um, during one of my business coaching calls, I was having one of those, you know, new business owner, emo freakouts. Oh my gosh, I didn't hit my numbers again. My margins are way off. Mm-hmm. This is terrible. My abuse, my, I'm going to, we're going to have, we're going to go bankrupt. You know, those kind of thoughts. And Alyssa kind of had me sit down and say, Brian, what, Okay, why do you feel that way? And I, and I said, well, because I know that nor I'm you know six months into this, I should be right here. My numbers should be here, and they're not mm. here, so I'm not successful. Mm. And she's like, well, yeah, but that's what someone else told you what success is. What do you think success is? And I'm like, I I, I don't know. And so over the next month, I I wrote down what are my success metrics for me personally at RockU. What makes me feel like what I'm doing is successful. And the crazy thing was when I sat down and wrote that stuff out, the first nine items on my success list, my success metrics had nothing to do with numbers, barely anything. Mm. It was things like I'm spending more time with my family. I'm at the bus stop for my boys when they get home from school. I I I have total autonomy and power over my own schedule. I'm doing Mm. something I'm passionate about. 
And it was those kind of things. And number 10 on the list was the school's growing in revenue. And that's it. Yeah. And the yeah. thing was, is that that triggered something in my brain to be like, oh, if I use this as my success metric, as my measurements for success for the school, then I'm going to start feeling better about how things are going. So I, I, I drafted up, I'm a, I do graphic design too. So I drafted up a poster and I hung it on the bathroom wall at home. And every month I'd look at that and go through those 10 things and be like, all right, cool. Did I spend more time with my kids? Yep. Was I home every night? Yep. Okay. It was a successful month. And the funny thing was that once I started measuring success at Rocky U that way, the other stuff, the, the actual success metrics fell into play because all of a sudden I was not making business decisions out of fear. I was just making them because I thought that's what was right for the school. Because as long as I was hitting all those success metrics that I defined, then things were going to be okay. And mm. I, I really attribute that pivot for how I measure success to why we are able, why we've been growing so quickly is because I, I view success differently than probably Nate, you view success differently, different than Daniel, you view success differently. And we, mm -hmm. it's a very personal thing. And once I was able to figure that out, it completely shifted my mindset. And I truly feel like it completely shifted how the business is going. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now... I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.